Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 10.30 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now, here's this week's message from Hollyview Church as Pastor Joel preaches from 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1-7 through 7, with a special Christmas message entitled, The Light Has Come. We have been a series through Samuel, and if you've been here, you've been tracking this last year, and I've been anticipating this day since last January, uh, and the words, the last words of, of King David. So if you have your Bibles, uh, if you haven't been with us, this is a great time to come. This is the culmination of it all. Uh, if you have a Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 23. We have a few Bibles in front of you, and that's on page 257. If you'd like to follow along, it'll also be up on the the screen as well, but to page, page 257, 2 Samuel 23, we're going to read the first seven verses, the last words of David. 2 Samuel 23 says, now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me, his word is on my tongue, the God of Israel has spoken The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like the rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure, for he will not cause... For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken by the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and shafts of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. Let's stop right there. Let's pray. Lord, as we spend just a few minutes looking at your word and these last words of, of David to us, they speak right at Christmas time of a baby in a manger. And Lord, would you uh, uncover our eyes so that we could see that? Would you uh, draw our hearts to understand and open our ears, Lord, that we would hear uh, from you this morning in just these next few moments uh, of the hope of Christmas? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, these last words of David, uh, he gets to the end of his life, and rather than being bitter or regretful, he's full of hope. Uh, he, he can speak these last words of, of hope because God has taken his crooked path and he's made it straight. He's made, his, he's made his life count for something and David has hope for the future. I'm going to read a quote from a commentary uh, that kind of summarizes these seven verses it's from Peter Lightheart. He said, The king described applies to some degree to David, but the idea of the king as the rising sun is ultimately applied to the Messiah. 2 Samuel 23, 1-7 is a full-length portrait of Jesus. He is the one who rules righteously and in the fear of the Lord, who brings the light of a new creation in his coming, who causes the land to flourish like a garden, and who takes up armor and spear against the thorns. Well, before we get to the text, I actually want to set the story up uh, to, with, a, with another story of a Christmas Eve I remember when I was just a kid. Uh, 
Christmas in our family always meant that we all gathered at Grandma and Grandpa's house together. Uh, we, were, we lived in all different states, uh, mainly Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana. Uh, and as we gathered all together, we'd all get to Grandma and Grandpa's house. And we drove one year from Ohio up to Michigan, and I remember pulling in the driveway and seeing all the lights and everything decorated, and, and some of our aunts and uncles and cousins already there. It's just a magical time at Grandma's house. Uh, I remember when you, you walk in, and there was always these glass bowls, uh, and maybe your grandma was like this too, full of candy that you didn't know if you were actually allowed to have or not, and so you'd sneak them. Uh, I remember pe- peanut brittle. Any of you remember peanut brittle at grandma's house? And also doilies. They shed doilies e- everywhere. Uh, that's kind of what I remember. Well, we packed, we'd packed grandma's house, uh, and all of my brothers and my cousins, because there was no more beds in grandma's house, there was no room in the inn, we all had to sleep in the formal uh, living room. So there was a bunch of boys packed in this formal living room in sleeping bags. Uh, and, and you better believe, as soon as the house went quiet, the first place that we all snuck to was the Christmas tree. Can you imagine, like, four or five families and all these kids, what the tree looked like? It felt like, for a little boy, it just looked like it filled all these presents filling the room. And you walk in there with, like, this wonder and also this hope and anticipation that some of these have got to be mine, Right? So you sneak in there at night when it's quiet, and you, and you look through. Which one, which one has my name on it? Which of these gifts is mine? And, and as a little boy looking through, like, oh, this one says Joel. This one's mine. Oh, it's about this big. What could it be? And my imagination starts, starts running. Well, going to sleep in a house with packed full of people, and in the other room is this, like, packed with all these gifts. You can imagine it's for a little boy. It's very difficult to go to sleep. Uh, And it made it even harder, I remember, because my grandparents had this grandfather clock that was right above me. And if you know grandfather clocks, they tick every second. Tick, tock, tick, tock. And I remember sitting on the floor, waiting in anticipation through the night that seemed like it was going to drag on forever. Uh, And then I'd hear the chimes of the clock. You've been listening to the tick tock for an hour now. And then the chimes two hours and three hours. Uh, But the whole time I had this hope and anticipation that something good was in store for me. There was a present with my name on it. Now, just like I had hope that there was something good in store for me the next morning because there was a present with my name on it, David, at the end of his life, has this hope because of this king or this ruler that was going to come, and he would ultimately be born on Christmas. The manger is what gave David that hope. You know, we celebrate Christmas every year, and uh, you don't even have to be a Christian to celebrate Christmas. It's just part of our culture. And so we do all the things. We come to a service like this. Uh, We go shopping. We eat. We open up presents. And we might even be wrestling with, but I'm not sure why it's so meaningful or why it's so hopeful. Why does it even matter that this young Jewish family had a kid over 2,000 years ago? What does that mean to my life today? What does the birth of Jesus mean to me? How does it give me hope? Well, that brings us back to our text today, and we're going to go along in our text very quickly, and there's going to be three questions that kind of lead us through our text today. The first one is going to be this, who is David? Uh, so even if you haven't been here, we'll just kind of recap who is, who is David. The second question is, who, who is this king? Who is this ruler that's going to come? And then the third question we're going to ask is, who am I? Uh, in relation to uh, this king born in a manger, who am I? So who's David? Who's the king? And then who am I? First question, who is David? 
If you've been here, we've traveled along his whole life this last year. He's a shepherd boy uh, from pretty insignificant family. Uh, he's the youngest in his family, so he's been sent out often to, to watch the sheep uh, at night. Nothing really to speak of. He's not the tallest in his family. He's pretty small. Uh, when all of a sudden this guy comes and anoints him as king of Israel, uh, that's got to be a shocker of a day for him and his brothers. Uh, he ends up beating this giant, Goliath. You remember that story? Uh, just awesome day. He gets uh, anointed king again, like you're really going to be king. And then all of a sudden he's on the run for years from King Saul who's trying to, to kill him. Uh, he finally becomes the king of Israel when his family just falls apart. He, he does a really bad job of being a dad, I think. And family falls apart. One of the kids even usurps his throne, kicks him out. Well, that kid finally ends up dying, and David comes back again, and he, and he looks back on the rest of his life, and at the end of it, he speaks these last words. And, and, and as he's thinking through his life, the ups and downs, the, the crooked moments, the bad decisions, the highs, the lows, he comes up with four lines of who he is, his identity. Uh, four things that he looks back and go, this is why it's so important. He says, uh, one, he's the son of Jesse. He's raised on high, the anointed, the sweet psalmist. Four things as, as he identifies who he is and his life and what gives him meaning is he's the son of Jesse. The son of Jesse, I think, means, look, I came from nowhere. No one's heard of my parents. We, we were shepherds. We were the lowest of our society. We had no influence, and I was the lowest of the low. Like, I was the smallest of the brothers. I wasn't anything uh, to look at. I was from Jesse, from humble means. But I was raised on high. Now, I didn't climb my way to the top. I didn't have what it takes to get there. But God lifted me up and made this way that I would become king over Israel. Uh, for no account of my own. I was raised on high. God had orchestrated this amazing plan through David. He was anointed. Uh, God had called him out of everyone and said, this is what I want for you in your life. This is what I want you to do. This is who I want you to be for, for me. He was anointed by God. And the last thing is a sweet psalmist. I think this is what motivated David. This is what got him up in the morning. Uh, that he could praise the Lord and lead other people to see the Lord and the works that he's done in his life. David knew, hey, I'm not all that great. I'm from a small family. Uh, I don't have any pedigree. I don't have any education to be here. But God raised me up and anointed me. And, and so what got him up in the morning was this worship or praise of the Lord. So before we move on to the next question, I, I, I took a little bit of time this week and said, boy, if I had to summarize my life in four uh, little statements, what would they be? It's, it's kind of an a intriguing uh, exercise. It, it actually took me a long time because I'm like, well, I have all these things that are me, but if I had to boil it down to four things, what, what would those things be? And, and you know what wasn't on my list? What car I drove, how much money I had in my bank account, how much overtime I pulled, my rank, uh, my education, none of that was on there. The things that were on there uh, were my family, how God has used me and called me, and that I'm still a work in process. Uh, so I, I encourage you, even over the um, Christmas break here, over dinner or something, what would those four lines be for you? If you had to summarize your life, what, what would those things be? For David, it was son of Jesse. I'm from a low family, raised on high, anointed, the sweet psalmist. Talk about what those things might be even in your family. 
And whatever those four things are probably means that's what gives you meaning in life. That's what motivates you. And so focus on those, especially this Christmas. Well, who's David? We'd probably overlook David in the store. We'd probably walk right by him and wouldn't even uh, notice him. Well, he might be dressed funny, but anyway. Uh, we wouldn't even notice David. So, so who is David? He's this guy who God used uh, for his glory. And this brings us to our next question. Who is this king? So God tells David, the end of his life, the end of these words, I, I have uh, something I need to tell you. And he tells him in third person. He doesn't say, this is who you are, David. He says, uh, there is someone who's going to come, and it's, he's like this. He says, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. When one rules justly over men, now this is a little bit of a geeky thing, but the word men there is the Hebrew word Adam. It could mean one man, but that's his name, Adam. When one rules justly over this one man, Adam, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. The other one is man or mankind or humanity. It's speaking of all-inclusive. When one rules justly, when one rules righteously over all of humanity, not just Israel, but over all the world, when this one rules justly, when things are right, it reflects the Lord. It's almost as if the Lord himself is ruling over all of humanity and putting things back to right. He's righteous and just. He doesn't have any favorites. He doesn't have any ethical biases. He's judging everyone perfectly, and there is peace on over all the earth. Well, when this person comes who rules justly and righteously over all of the earth and rules like a reflection or an image of of God, he he does two things. He brings two things to humanity. Uh, He brings new creation and new life. New creation and new life. It says he dawns on them like the morning light. This, this person will dawn on them like the morning light. Uh, that's a, time, a specific time of day that he's dawning, and it's actually reflecting back to creation. You know, we, every night, we're in the middle of the night, it's dark. And, and there's, a, there's a point in the morning where the sun comes up, and there's a new day. There's a new hope. This is when this one comes and rules justly, when he puts things back in order again, when he, when he takes the crazy chaos of the world and brings it under peace of the Lord, it's going to be like a new day. It's a new creation. And the second thing he says is going to be like uh, the sun that gives uh, growth to the, to the grass. Uh, or, or it could be the plants or it could be anything. He's like the sun that causes things to grow and have life. When this one comes, there's going to be a new day, a new hope, a new creation, and there's going to be life. It's like the morning light, like the sun. Well, the prophets actually pick up on 2 Samuel 23, and there's a a whole image or trail that goes all the way through that leads us all the way up to the birth of of Jesus. Uh, So I want to just pick two of those things and kind of show you uh, how David's last words actually point us to the manger in Jesus. Isaiah 9.2 says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. They've lived in darkness for so long, for chaos and evil, and finally there is one who has come who is rising like the sun, and it's a new day. 
In verse 6, this is what Caleb quoted. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. You see, you hear that? This ruler that comes, that dawns on them like the morning light, there's a new creation, all of a sudden the peace is there. Justice is there. Wisdom. And on the throne of, of the increase of his government peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the, this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's wonderful news, right? And if you're living in a time of chaos and evil and destruction and like a world pandemic and the government's going south and everything, you're hoping and longing for when is the night going to break? When are we going to see the light finally shine and someone come forth and fix the world? Isn't that what we want? That's what Israel wanted too. And for generations they waited. They waited through the night hoping that the light would come. When Jesus is born in a manger, so John begins his story. Jesus' really good friend begins the story of telling us who Jesus is with this same image from Isaiah and also 2 Samuel 23. That the light has come. John 1.1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And if you look at those verses, you see how light is. It's just the theme. Do you see it? Light, 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 light. Now look down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is this king that's going to come? Well, we see it at Christmas time. When Jesus, fully God, fully man, is born in a manger to bring a new day, a new dawn, a new creation, new life to humanity, the kingdom is finally here in the baby. It's like the nighttime is finally over and we see the first glimmers of the morning light. So this brings us to our last question. This is the question that David was asking. Well, who am I then? Where do I stand? Uh, Where do I stand in relation to this king that's going to come? That's what David asked. He says, is not my house? How's my house with with this king? Uh, Am I in good standings? Do we have a relationship or not? And then he quickly answers his own question and says, yet he has made this everlasting covenant with me. That this covenant that he talks about in 2 Samuel 7 of one that's going to come in the line of David that's going to sit on the throne forever and perfectly and justly and righteously rule over the earth. Because of that one, David says, all the stuff that I've done, my desires, my hopes, my efforts, because of that covenant, he's going to change and make for good. Because of the relationship, because of that eternal covenant, David's life means something. And there's hope for the future because of the one that is going to come. David has hope in the middle of the night because he knows something good is coming. There is hope because of this covenant. Those in the relationship with this one who is coming, who is going to rule and reign, they have hope that the nighttime is finally going to be over and the light is going to come. But David contrasts it, and I think you see this at the the end of the section. 
He contrasts these covenant people that have a relationship with the king with, with the ones who are really the enemies of the king. He calls them the worthless ones. Those worthless ones, he says, are like thorns. And then he gives this imagery like those thorns that you can't reach out and grab hold of with your bare hands. Now, we in Oregon, we know this very well, and hopefully you have an image in your head of blackberry bushes. Because if you've ever tried to like, remove blackberry bushes, have you ever done it with your bare hands? No, that would be very painful. Don't do that. You need, uh, what do you need for that? Well, you need like gloves and like some uh, scissors or a pitchfork, uh, something like that, right? And then you want to burn them. And then what happens? They just come back. They just keep coming back. Well, there's going to be this one who is coming who it says is going to arm himself with a spear. Now, we might have just read right over that, but that's actually significant. Uh, how many of you, when you go out to battle the blackberries, and maybe you do, you arm yourself with like a shield and a spear? Who does, like, can you imagine? That guy's loony, like out there stabbing the thorns? Like, but that's the imagery that David's using here. The, the one who is going to handle these thorns actually arms himself. Like he's going into battle against the thorns. And the thorns are really... It's just a, uh, an image of something that's very prevalent in the Bible that we find actually on page 3 of the Bible. When, when humans sin, when sin entered the world, uh, there was a curse on the ground. And that curse resulted in these thorns and thistles coming up. Uh, so that you go to work one day and you remove all the problems and you go home to relax and rejuvenate and you go to work the next day and what, what's there? More thorns. So you remove those, and what happens? More thorns. It's like we're constantly always in this, like, cursed humanity that we're trying to fight against. And you know what? A lot of us give up, and we just go, I'm done. And so those thorns, they, they almost, like, wrap around us. They do to buildings and automobiles and people as well. This curse that's on humanity because of the fall, I think, actually wraps up around many of us, and pulls us down. Well, Christmas is there because of it's, it's hope, because the one who is born is the one who's going to arm himself to undo the curse, to bring peace and justice and righteousness, a new life, a new day. He's gone in and battled the curse. He's removed the sin and shame and guilt through his death and resurrection. So, if you were like a shepherd or some townspeople and, and Jesus was born and you heard the thing, hey, light has come into the world. Come and see this one born king. And you came and you saw the baby Jesus in the middle of the night when you snuck out when your parents didn't know. And you looked in that manger. If you could actually look at this little baby's heart, his desire, his love, if you could look on his hands, you would actually see your name. It's a gift for you. You see, uh, Israel, uh, from Isaiah 9 on, uh, struggled and rebelled and sinned. And it's like those thorns of the curse just pulled them down and weighed them down. And God promises this something to them. In Isaiah 49 and verse 16, he says this, See, I have written your name on the palm of my hands. Those same palms that 
years later, would be pierced for us. This gift of salvation through Jesus to you. Your name is on his hand. That's why Christmas is so full of hope. If you're lost, if you're in the night, if it's darkness, if it's chaotic and you don't know where to turn, Christmas says, the gift is here and it's for you. Each one of you, your name is written on his palm. And all you have to do is accept the gift of Jesus. Uh, that might be a little complicated, and what does that mean? I'd love to talk to you if that's something you'd like to do, and I know there's a lot of people here that would love to talk to you, uh, but the gift is yours this Christmas. Accepting that gift of Jesus would be uh, the single most important gift you've ever accepted in your life. Uh, Peter Lightheart, he said this, the king described applies to some degree to David, but the idea of the king as the rising sun is ultimately applied to the Messiah. 2 Samuel 23, 1-7 is a full-length portrait of Jesus. He is the one who rules righteously and in the fear of the Lord, who brings the light of a new creation in his coming, who causes the land to flourish like a garden, who takes up armor and spear against the thorns. Let me ask you this morning, where do you stand with this? baby that was born king. But where do you stand with this one uh, who is offering you this covenant through the death and resurrection of his son? That's what makes Christmas so special. Uh, just like uh, I had hope to endure the night and all those tick-tock, 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 because I knew something good was in store, that's what Christmas means. The gift is here, and, and your name is written on his hands. Will you accept it or not? Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this gift at Christmas. And Lord, when we uh, see Christmas presents this next week and we see names written on those presents, Lord, would you remind us that our name's written on your hands. Lord, that you're calling each one of us, that you can take our crooked, broken paths and you can make them meaningful and give us hope for the future. Lord, that it's never too late, even at the end of life, to go into this covenant with you through your Son. And Lord, how that brings hope, the hope of a new creation, the hope of a new kingdom, and that we can even realize that here and now. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come on this earth. Or would you be uh, a God who brings peace over our, our homes and our families this Christmas? Would you give us meaning and life and hope? for a new day in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.